All right, welcome again. Thank you, Chris. We are going to be jumping in, excuse me, to a new book this week. Last week we had an introduction to Nehemiah, and this week we are going to uh, be in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to take the first four verses. And so um, hopefully you guys have done your homework and you've read ahead. If not, it's okay. You're still allowed to stay. But uh, I would recommend that you guys go through this whole book. Uh, and, and ahead of time, I guess so it not only is it going to be a blessing, but it will give you a much deeper understanding as we go through it uh, with the historical context. So we are going to be in Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah chapter one. And this is what verse one says. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now what happened in the month Kislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there in in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, Nehemiah talks in the first person here. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And God, I just pray that you would give us understanding of these verses, that you would open up this book to to our hearts, Lord, and that we would be able to take this and apply it as we build for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Nehemiah begins about 15 years after the book of Ezra ends. So it goes Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther in, the, in our Bibles. But really, um, from a, a chronological perspective, it goes uh, Ezra, Esther, and then Nehemiah. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring your attention here. Esther 1-2 um, says that in those days, as King Ahasuerus, who was King Artaxerxes, sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Sosa. And so this is Sosa here, this, um, this citadel or this capital that they're in, was sort of like a Camp David for the Persian kings. Uh, presidents, they go off on their retreat, they entertain people. This was sort of like a, a place in the wintertime that all the Persian kings would go, and that's where they would rule. Remember, they had pretty much the whole known world at the time. And so this is where Nehemiah was. Nehemiah had, was obviously a, a, a guy that worked his way up. We're going to see he's uh, the cupbearer of the king. <clears throat> he's in this nice area. Um, and it's been almost 100 years after the first captives came back to the promised land and some 150 years after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, after this long time, the walls of Jerusalem were still in rubble. So Jerusalem at this time, they had create, they had rebuilt the temple, as you'll see in the book, if you go through the book of Ezra, It took them some time. First, they laid down the foundation of the temple, and then the work was interrupted for about 20 years. And then they went back and they finished building the temple. And then about, I don't know, you're looking here after this time, you're looking at about 538 B.C. when Cyrus gave the command that they can go back and build 
the, the temple. And now what we're looking at is some 75 years uh, after that. And so this unwalled city was a very scary place. Uh, any unwalled city back in that time was uh, a, a city that was vulnerable, a city that was vulnerable for attack, uh, a city that was vulnerable as it relates to its people. They were distressed. Um, they were in constant stress and tension, I guess you could say. They never knew when they were going to be attacked. Jerusalem at this time was about 800 miles away from where Nehemiah was. And so God is preparing to use Nehemiah to take him and to do something about this situation. Now, I was going to put the timeline up, but I've decided I'm not going to do that because of, I don't want to confuse you any further. But uh, if you can, when you, if you look at my last email on Tuesday, I had the timeline in there so that you can get an idea of where it's at in history. And you could just go to faithfreehold.org forward slash Nehemiah, and you could get that timeline. And then as we go through the book, if, we get, if I could find some helpful charts, or as we get through these chapters, I'll throw them on that page as well, so you could have some resources there. So God is going to use Nehemiah. It's so interesting because the military, I don't know how many of you here have been in the military, but the military prepares their soldiers uh, for service in a very unique way. First, there's a recruiter. And his job is to get you interested in serving, uh, answer your questions, and really do, he's sort of the salesperson. He does his best to find you in the right spot, and then he is uh, sort of persuades you to, um, to commit your life, or at least the next few years of your life, to one of the various branches of service. Now, I had the privilege of going into the Army Reserves. I remember visiting a, a recruiter during my senior year in high school. I brought a friend along with me to the appointment, of course. And the recruiter promised me the world. The army was truly going to be the vacation of a lifetime. He then began working on the friend that was with me too. The recruiter, he, he proceeded to commit to us, both of us, that if we were to join the army reserves that day, we were to sign up together. Now, my friend had no intention of doing this, but he just was coming along for the ride that day. But if we would both sign up, we would each get a nice cash bonus Plus, he would guarantee that we would go to basic training together in the long, far uh, land of Fort Dix, New Jersey. And so, long story short, we both go off into the Army during the summer, right after our senior year. I was even under the legal age. I was still 17 when I arrived at basic, not to turn 18 for a couple of weeks. My recruiter said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And of course, he did. Now, a few days after getting screamed at by drill sergeants, both my friend and I realized we absolutely hated basic training and the Army. Uh, he blamed me for talking him into it, and I blamed him for letting me talk him into it. You see, the recruiter's job when he was there is to build us up, but the drill sergeant's job, once you get to basic training, his job is to break you down. We got broken down mentally, physically, and emotionally. It wasn't fun, but it gave us what we needed, not only really for the military, but the discipline and some of the things we learned there was useful for my whole life. It was a wake-up call for me, for sure. 
The problem is, is we never like to be broken down. We don't like to have that that breaking, obviously, even breaking a bone, it's painful. We hear the word break, it's painful. But that's a fact, in fact, what has to happen in order for a soldier to be useful on the battlefield. They have to get rid of all the junk, all their habits, all their whining, all their complaining, all the things that could potentially cause danger on the battlefield. So these drill sergeants, they break you down. And then they build you back up. Now, coincidentally, this preparation method for the military is very similar to how God prepares his vessels. He breaks them down so he can purely move in their heart before he sends them out to do the work he's called them to do. I know it's not a a happy thought, But if God has a big work for you to do, which big is very subjective because God doesn't see things like we do. It can be something very small for us, but in our mind. But when God has something for you to do, God oftentimes, I'm not going to say every single time, but very often he uses the pathway of brokenness to prepare you to do what he's called you to do. Now, the first four verses that we just read here in Nehemiah shows us evidence of this. Before God does a great work with Nehemiah, God does a great work in Nehemiah. Before God will do a great work in somebody here, I'm sorry, with somebody here, he's going to do a good work in that person. He works in And then that person can go out and work for God. And so he does it with us. He's going to show us, I believe, uh, a good pattern of it here for Nehemiah. And if you have a great work, I believe, the bigger the work, the more the brokenness has to happen. The more that you need to be broken of that dependence on anyone else other than the Lord. So that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at how sometimes God will break us from our pride, break us from our self-assurance, our dependency on ourselves in order to use us to go out and do what he has called us to do. So I think he shows us a good example of this in these first four verses. This number one is expressed first and foremost with a burden or a brokenness toward God himself a brokenness or a burden toward God himself. You see, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He was probably born in the captivity. He was probably only about 30 years old here or something like that. Jerusalem is 800 miles away. But to the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the temple, the law, the land, everything was in their mind how they worshiped God, was through that instrument. So uh, Nehemiah had a burden, not so much for the people that were back in Jerusalem, although he did, it says it right here, but that burden would not have even been there unless he first had a burden for the things of God. We see here, Nehemiah, um, 
Here, let me just read this verse to you here in verse four. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was praying and fasting before the God of heaven. When God is about to use you, he often uses very several different aspects. Usually there is a physical burden that you have for God. When he first works in your heart, when he puts something on your heart, sometimes you could feel the, 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 the pain of somebody that you're even trying to minister to. Somebody often says, hey, I have to tell you something very difficult. Have a seat. Sit down. You're going to want to sit for this. Because physically, we respond when we have that burden. This is what Nehemiah did. <clears throat> he heard these words. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. There's his, his fellow people there. They have escaped. They survived the captivity, but he knew it was an atrocious situation. So he broke down. He sat down. He wept. He prayed. And he fasted. God was doing something in Nehemiah to get him ready for what was ahead. So you think about it. What is God calling you to do? Is he calling you into ministry? Is he calling you to go minister to someone? Is he calling you to reconcile a situation? A marriage? A friendship? Something difficult? Know that God will work in you and then he will send you out to work with you to accomplish that goal. He had a passion for God. There was no strength in his legs. He had to sit down. He had a passion for the things of God. He wept. And this brokenness then turns in and fuels that passion. See, God's people, <clears throat> God's true people, back at this time, were scattered all over. They were up uh, in Assyria. Some were in uh, Babylon, which Persia came and took over. Some were left back in uh, Jerusalem. But, but Nehemiah knew that God had promised to regather his people. He knew that God had promised to rebuild his temple. He knew that God had promised that he would those that were in exile would be rescued, and ultimately all this points to Jesus Christ. But for him, Jerusalem is almost like us saying the church. We have such a burden for God's people, a burden for God's church. In Ezra 10.1, while Ezra was praying and making confession, he was weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God. And there was a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept bitterly because they were listening to the word of God that they hadn't heard for so long while they were in exile. It was a gener generations that went by. This was a passion that he had. Psalm 137, 5 to 6. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Why was Jerusalem so important? Was it because it was so pretty? Was it because it was, well, you know, 
God's, you know, God was going to be there one day. No, this was Jerusalem was the place where God said he dwelt with his people. So Nehemiah had a burden for the dwelling place of God. He wanted to be with God again. He wanted to be able to worship God again. He wanted to do it united with his people. This was the burden that God was putting in his, in, in, inside of him. But it first began with a burden for the Lord. Now, what is Nehemiah showing us in this specific instance? I believe that he's showing us that we ought to have the same passion for the one who ushered in not only the kingdom, but who also ushered in that new temple, which is his body and his people, and that's Jesus Christ. So just as Nehemiah had this burden to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to to reestablish the people, whatever his vision was specifically, here we see this, this, this disheartening news that his people are not good. But this is what, how do we translate that? Do we translate that into go out and be a, big, a really good patriot? Go out and rebuild America? I don't know if God's calling you to do that, maybe. But I believe from the spiritual perspective, God is calling us to have the same passion for his temple, the same passion for his city, for his building, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He's weeping over it, broken for God's temple. You see, Paul had this very same burden for people. Paul had a burden um, for the creation as well. Not that he was some environmentalist, but he knew God was coming back to redeem everything, even the fallen creation. He says in Romans 18, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 18 to 23, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of That is about to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from slavery to into into its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then he says in verse 23, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. So there's this this groaning for redemption that God has put in the spirit of his spirit into his people to groan for that redemption, which only comes in and through Jesus Christ. But we, like Nehemiah, are also called to go out and build for that temple. Not the new temple, not physically going out and building the temple. The new temple that Jesus tells us is his body. The, the temple that Jesus says is sitting here right in front of me and, you in, and, and me in front of you. And all the churches throughout the world, all of the elect are the temple of God. And he wants us to have that burden to build for it, toward it, in anticipation of it, despite opposition. Now, this means confronting wrong with truth and truth with passionate non-compromise. And this leads to restoration in Christ. And that's what Jesus did. What God embodied Christ, he did it in Christ, and he's doing it through Christ now and in him alone. That's why Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only answer for that kingdom-building passion. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19, If therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, <clears throat> new things have come. Now the problem is, is this. <clears throat> this begins in Christ. And there's a personal application here as well. How can we ever think about going out and building the walls of the kingdom for Jesus <clears throat> when our own personal walls are broken down? God has to do a work in you before he can do a work through you. And this all begins with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Only then will the walls, uh, are the walls repaired. And only then can you be that useful vessel, as Chris read up here today. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Not just to pastors. This is to every single one of us here. God wants to use you. He wants, to he wants you to be a prepared vessel. Do you want that? That's the question. Are you willing to be broken to be used. See, what the opposite of being broken is, is pride. You don't need to be broken. You can do this on your own. You don't need, I don't need you to, to wait on you, Lord. I, I'm good to go right now. I, I know. I read my Bible. I'm good. I'm out. I always joke about it. When I first got converted, I'll, I'll, I, I wrote uh, Pastor Lloyd Pulley, who was my pastor at the time, from U-Turn for Christ in South Carolina, just got converted, and I let him know that I'd be happy to preach any time that he needed me when I came back. Could you imagine that, the, the, the patience that man must have had? I mean, he probably laughed when I wrote that, but I really meant it. I'm ready. Yeah. And it took me, what, 20 years to get over myself. And God, now I'm being able to preach. But it took me a long time to get to that point. I started, God developed the preach, you know, preaching style, yes, all that. But he developed and, and gave me the brokenness out on the street. That's what I did. I went out and I started street preaching. God used brokenness through my relationship with my wife. He put us through the, the ringer in the beginning of our marriage. We became broken. They did the same thing with my children. Broken. Empty. What am I doing, Lord? And then as we sang today, he is the God of the hills and he's the God of the mountain and he's the God of the valley. Amen. He's the God down that is in the valley with you, shepherding you with his, his, with his shepherd's stick, maybe poking you a little bit, getting you back on track. Whatever you're going through, if you feel like you're getting broken, get excited because God has an amazing work prepared for you. That's what the scripture, I believe, says. And I believe that's what experience has said as well. <clears throat> so secondly, I only have two points today. For those of you that want three, I apologize. But I do promise to still go over. It's not, don't worry, I'm not going to stay within the time limit. So we have to have a burden and a brokenness towards God first. God has to do his work in us before he can do his work with us. I'm saying that over and over because I want you to remember it. When you're going through it, rejoice through that fiery trial, okay? Knowing it produces endurance and patience and all those things you need to be a, a, a useful tool for God. So secondly, 
I believe he's showing us that we should have a burden and a brokenness for the great work of rebuilding what the enemy has torn down. Rebuilding what the enemy has torn down. And that could be something in your life. You're rebuilding what the enemy has torn down in your life. Not giving up. God is not a God of give up. God is a God of restoration. That's what this whole, if we had to say what this Bible is about, reconciliation is probably a good word to choose. God reconciles himself and the world back to him through Jesus Christ. He doesn't give up on it. And that's what I love about Nehemiah. He didn't say, ah, somebody else is going to go out and do it. He said, you know what? The enemy tore these walls down. I'm going to go build them back up. I'm not going to let this happen. And I see really, you know, because um, the modern church very, very much is, um, I would say, uh, very preoccupied with getting out and going off to heaven, Jesus coming back and taking us away. But the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible talks about God saving us for the world, not from the world. So this has to do with rebuilding that which the, en- the enemy has torn down. Look at our fallen world. What are you doing about that? I'm going to give you some weapons. I'm going to give you some weapons, but it is our job to confront evil with truth. It is our job to go out in the spirit of love. In this, that this is why love never fails, because it overcomes evil. It overcomes wickedness, and it restores it. Okay, it doesn't retreat. Love doesn't retreat. Love goes on the offensive. Tough love. Sometimes it's tough. And so he had this burden. They said to me, he said in verse 3, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are burned with fire. This is what happened when when, when the enemy came into Jerusalem. They wiped it out. They killed people. They deported most of them out into into slavery. And Nehemiah said, this is not how God is going to. God is righteous. That's why we say God is righteous, because he does what he promises. He finishes what he starts. That includes you. That includes me. You are a work in progress. God is not finished with you, nor will he ever be until You are in his presence. And even then, I believe he'll have work for us to do in that glorified state. Because he is a God, a God of present reality. He is a moving God. Aslan is always on the move. And so he is always on the move. And so he wants us to anticipate that, like Nehemiah right now is going to rebuild the walls, or he's going to ask King Artaxerxes if he could do that. We're going to get to that next week or the week after. He's asking him to go rebuild the walls and he wants to go and he wants to wreck or he wants to restore what the enemy tore down. He doesn't want to go clean it up and get rid of it. He doesn't want to just sweep it away and just say, let's build something else here. He won't allow that to happen. And that's what we have to do. We have to have that burden, not for the, just the sake of creation, 
But this is my father's world. You're, you know, somebody walks up to your property, and what are you going to do? And they're standing on your property, and they start building. Like, what are you doing? This is my property. Or if they did it to your father's property, that's my father's property. You're, you're, you can't just build here. and I'm not going to allow that. See, the enemy wants you to give up. God wants you to go propagate the gospel because that's the gospel message of Jesus dying, well, living, as the prophecy said, and then giving his life for a ransom for, our, for, for, for his people and, and to redeem and bring in that new creation, bring in that fullness of the kingdom. But he's using you to go do that, just like he's about to use Nehemiah. He's going to send him into the field of battle where the rubble is. And he is going to give him people, as you're going to see, to help him. And it's not going to be easy, but Nehemiah is going to rebuild what the enemy tore down. And that's what he wants us to do in our life. We should be broken for God's new temple. Broken for God's new temple, like who, Pat? Well, his church. For others. He's not willing that any should perish. That's that, that, should be our, that should be our passion as part of this building. We shouldn't be willing that any were perish. And we don't know who the elect are. We don't know who's going to be saved, who's not. But that does, shouldn't bother us. We just need to go out and do our father's business. Go out there and rebuild. Okay, and some of you are in jobs, like in careers, that you could really, it, that really means a lot to God, what you do at your jobs. How you do your job, yes, do it all unto the glory of God. But the good that you're doing in your job, the things that you're doing in your job, are they helping people or hurting people? God wants to use that. He does. He's moving. He's got gazillion moving parts. And it's all pointing to one thing, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one that ushered in the kingdom. Jesus is the one that's ushering in. And Jesus is the one that's going to bring it here back to where it rightfully belongs but he's going to use your hands and your feet and his power, but your hands and your feet and your brain and your mouth. All the things that make you, you are made for that purpose to be, give glory to God and to move forward and do it. So that's a challenge to you. Start seeing where you're at right now, knowing God has put you there and now go out and rebuild those walls. What the enemy has taken down. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. He, Paul had a heart for that new temple, for God's people. He had a passion for it. Now, I only have two points, but I have like seven points of application. So the first thing, what do we take out of this? How do we really do this? How do we go out, Pat, and say, okay, I want to... I I want to be a Nehemiah here. Though the first thing you got to do is have your heart right with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you have to do. God's got to do that work in you. You have to be restored. You got to build your own walls. Rebuild yourself. Become born from above. Become born again. That's a new creature. So God's going to do the rebuilding in you. You're going to come to Christ fully with repentance and faith. Turning away from your sins and looking to God for faith, and at the cross, and he gives you that grace. 
And I love how Nehemiah weeps. We talked about weeping a lot over the past couple months. He sat down and wept. We read about Mary Magdalene weeping at the cross. Weeping for Jesus. Why? Because she loved Jesus. She, his, her, her master was dead. She was with him for three years or, or, or maybe a little less. But she depended on him. She, and Jesus, that weeping, Jesus wants us to have for him and be through his eyes. He wants us to see the person next to us. And he wants us to weep for them. When's the last time you've wept over the problems of, the bro- of your brothers and sisters that they're facing? I'm not trying to say crank up the tears and, you know, am I weeping yet? No, no you, have to really put, you have to really put yourself in their shoes, for lack of a better way to say it, and look at them with the heart of God. And I believe this is what Nehemiah was doing. He was looking at Jerusalem because that's where, G, that's where God was to him. That's where the worship, excuse me, of God was there. And his brothers and sisters that were left there, he wept for them. I, you know, it's hard to take people's problems to heart. Because then you start to get overwhelmed by everybody's problems, right? And you start to take them to heart. But I do believe we have to do that. To be Christ-like to people. We have to weep with those who weep. And we have to come in contact with people in order to do that. We have to ask them questions. We have to let them know that we care about them. We have to let them know this isn't just superficial Christian stuff. This is what the heart of God is. And you show that. James 4, this is a little harsh. James is a little harsh, but he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. See, becoming one with Christ in this idea, one with Christ in in this idea of weeping for others and you're doing it through Christ. I'm not gonna weep out of my flesh. I want to go away from your, your, your situation. <laughs> I don't need any other problems right now. All right, I'm really super busy. I got so much on my plate. I don't need your problems. I say that sometimes. I do. I, that's a sin. I shouldn't do that. But that's how I feel. Not to you guys, only to my wife. <laughs> don't think I'm a bad shepherd here. No, just kidding. No, but we, all, we often do that, and we have to get realigned with Christ when that happens. Realigned with him in his eyes and see people through his, his glasses. <clears throat> a Christian that's being sent out, that's being worked in, will always be a person of prayer. When God walk, works in you, the one of the first things you want to do is talk to him. Right? Isn't that, don't we see that in our own picture of marriage? When we first meet this, our spouse? Remember when you first met your spouse? Or your spouse-to-be? What did you love to do? Talk. All night. You're on the phone. What are you doing? What am I doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? Where am I? You're, you're just, you want to be in their presence. You want to talk. You, you, something goes wrong, you go to them, right? And you start to form this oneness, this bond. Well, Nehemiah was the first, one of the first things he did. Again, he prayed. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So this is all one thing. He was praying. He was weeping. For days he was mourning. And he was praying over the conditions of others. See, if we get so caught up in our own prayer, for me, 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 right? And try just praising God in your prayer and praying for others. And put your stuff last. And I challenge you to do that. You probably won't even remember your stuff by the time you get to it. <clears throat> Nehemiah could have said, why, why pray to go build the walls? <clears throat> I'm just going to go. They need to be built. It's a, it's a no-brainer. Nope. He could have said, why even pray for the lost, for these people? God's going to take care of them. He promised he'll do it. God's grace is what saves people anyway. Nope, he was passionate about people he never met, but who were his kindred. And this is us. Our brothers and sisters are every believer in Jesus Christ. Fasting, what is fasting? It's denying the flesh to feed the spirit. We usually do the opposite. We feed the flesh and deny the spirit. We, we, we eat our three, times a me- three meals a day, three times, snack in between. We go on our days. We go on... Weeks sometimes without feeding the spirit. We feed the spirit as we deny the flesh. Acts 13, 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. There's something about fasting that just puts you in, in a, in a it really doesn't put you closer to God because he can't be any closer to his people. But it, it gets you from just getting rid of all the junk and you have that clear. It's like washing the windows when they're steamed up. You know, you, get, you can still see, but when you wipe it down, you get that closer picture. So I want to encourage you, if you're seeking the Lord, pray and fast for a time. And of course, I want to encourage you, like Nehemiah, Attempt something big for God. The little things are important. Don't get me wrong. But attempt something big. Attempt to do something for the Lord. You know, this, isn't, uh, this is our church, right? God can, God can give you a vision and put something on your heart just as much as he can do anyone else in ministry here. So if God is giving you that, giving you a vision... Make it known. Don't say, ah, nah, that'll never work. I'm not going to do that for the Lord. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm here. The elders are here. The brothers and sisters are here to come alongside the people of God when they get that, when they get that calling and get that vision. <clears throat> One of the things I would love to see more of, promised I would go over, and I am. One of the things I would love to see more of, and I think elders share the same sentiment, is small groups. I love the fact that this Tuesday we had, we had a Zoom small group for the young adults. It was awesome. There was like 20-some people on the call. But I also love it more. I love it when people get together at their homes and they study the Word of God. This is what we should do. Pray about opening up your home for a small group. Don't worry about who's going to come. Just say, hey, Pat, Kevin, uh, Chris, hey, I'm gonna start a, I want to start a Bible study at my house. What do you think? Let's pray about it. Small groups, ministry. Discipling someone. Look at all these people here, right? Do you have anything in common with any of them? If you do, go tell them. Hey, I have a shirt like that. As long as it's flannel, I could say that. 
Hey, oh, you work over there. You do that. And start discipling someone. That's how discipleship starts, by forming a relationship. It doesn't have to say, oh, you're going to formally disciple you now. Come on and sit down and be discipled. No. It's just have a relationship. They'll minister to you. You'll minister to them. These are great things. These are big things for God. This is what I mean about doing something big. I don't mean about you know, going to trying to shake the world up. If you want to do that too, good. But start something even small. Get out and reach the lost. Go share your, challenge you, share your faith with one person every week. And then do it twice. You don't have to take them through the whole entire Bible. Share your faith. Hey, I'm a Christian. What background do you have? Oh, I see you have that cross. Are you, are you a believer? You know, just start to share your faith. Have a big vision. You see, this was Nehemiah's vision. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem before. But he said, I'm going to go 800 miles through the enemy territory into enemy territory. I'm going to, I want to rebuild the walls. The temple's all exposed. I got to go. I have to do this. Through Nehemiah, God is going to do something that completely failed before. So don't base what you're doing for God based on who's done it well or who maybe someone's never done it. Nehemiah trusted in the God of heaven. I love that. The God of heaven he was praying before. And why? Because there is no other God. He's, there is no other God but one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Equal, yet different. Unified, yet separate in certain ways. The God of heaven. My question is, is will you step out and follow this example and do the same? Again, this all points to our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. Start off. Again, with God working, let God do that work in you. Let him break you. Let him break you down that you have to cry, you have to weep. Let him break you down that you're you're praying, you're fasting, you're seeking him. He will show up. He will reveal himself to you. But we can't just take a token amount of pillow prayer. Good night, Lord. I'm out. Man, I fell asleep again. I hate that. When that happens, I lie down horizontally late at night in the dark. Close my eyes and then I fall asleep. That's what happens. Try waking up and going right to the Lord. We talked about it in Sunday school today. Paul went down on his knees at the end in Acts 20 and he prayed to the Lord. Get on your face before the Lord. Cry out to him. Maybe you're like, Lord, what am I to do? I don't know what to do. Pat's talking about a mission. I don't even know what I'm going to do now. That's great. The work has started. Have Have that discussion. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book, Lord, and um, I pray that you continue to, to just minister to us through it. Lord, let us be that person that you work in so that we can be the person that you work through. Lord, we don't want to pray for brokenness. We don't. That's <laughs> just scary, Lord. But we know you are loving and kind and you are gentle with us, Lord. So please do your work in us, Lord, and through us in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have one more song. So if we could all stand together, let's worship this last song with this last song. And then we will have some announcements real quick and then we'll.